0: Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered Podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast. And today, for the first time, I think I've gone down to Tasmania. I must be scraping down the bottom <laughs> of the of the list now. I've got Aiden Withers in to have a chat to me. Thanks for coming in, Aiden. No, is it all Brent? No, mate, I'm 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 only joking about Tasmania. There's some good coaches down there and some good people down there. So I'm just keen to to explore. Um, for people that have tuned into the podcast recently, I've had a bit of a um, a bit of a theme going with some recent people that have gone through the trainee program and have come out and doing really good things out in the in the coaching world. So that's where you've you've come in. Um, the standard question I've been asking everyone recently is about COVID, but being down in taser you haven't had too much of a problem with COVID. no it's been
1: uh it's been pretty good um i did have a month off at the end of last year so april uh it all sort of happened um yeah we had we had that off and and we've gone back to what would we call a relatively normal uh lifeline at the moment um I do feel a bit guilty when I talk to a lot of the reps and a lot of the people that are on the mainland, because um, I know they're doing it very, very tough at the moment, um, and it's sort of a bit of a guilt thing to when you talk to them and they ask how you how you going and sun's out and everyone's out and it feels quite normal, um, but we do see the news and we understand the battles that they're going through at the moment as well
0: yeah I certainly certainly feel for for coaches out there doing it full- time and trying to make make ends meet and trying to get mm. out there and do it. It's been been a challenging last couple of years, but hopefully with enough vaccinations going on, we can start to get back to some sort of normal. That's it. So for those that don't know you, how would you describe your golfing journey so far?
1: Um, I would describe it as not your normal um, journey, I should' say. Um, I didn't pick up golf until quite late in my, my life. I played soccer and cricket for uh, numerous years. Um, I did remember when I was very, very little, um, the mum and dad had the talk with me and they said, look, it's either soccer and cricket or, uh, it's golf. I did elect soccer and cricket, um, played that for basically all of my primary school, high school, uh, represented the state and and that in in the soccer as well uh and i picked up golf i was more so once i got my license um and even then i didn't play very often um and initially uh it's kind of weird because initially it started off as sort of a stress relief it was work that i was going through and um, i was doing a a joinery apprenticeship um and it was just a way to to calm down after after work not to say i was angry but just a Nice relaxer to go out and enjoy nine holes uh, after work and then I come to the end of my apprenticeship and I was taken a little bit more seriously uh, playing some state events and that um, not to any sort of exciting level, but uh, definitely enjoyed this experience um, and as it turned out my my former boss um, I was just having a hit and introduced myself one day and and he offered me a traineeship and I said yes immediately, I, and honestly, I had no idea of what that would um, would partake, really. Um, no idea what it consisted of and anything, but I knew I loved golf and knew I, I really enjoyed being around the club and the people around, and and took it on from there.
0: Okay, so we're talking like 17, 18
1: years old before you started taking a trip. No, I finished high school when I was 16, didn't. Pick golf up until third or fourth year of my uh, apprenticeship, so I would have been nineteen twenty. Uh, but obviously, pick, playing with the the cricket and stuff like that, the hand eye coordination was there. Um, so we picked it up from from that really. Um, and I think I I finished my traineeship um, or my my joinery trade, sorry. Uh, and then we went from there. Just took it a bit more seriously, got the bug, and, and just fell in love with it.
0: Okay, I'm curious because you've um I'm keen to get some other sport coaches on this podcast as well. So mm-hmm. obviously a heap of golf coaches on recently, yep. um because that's where all my contacts are. But you said, <laughs> you, played, you, said you played state soccer. Yeah. So
1: yep. what was the the coaching like that you were got in that? Uh, of it was definitely very different. Um, I was a little bit of a a different situation with it um because most of being being on the northwest coast of tassie um it, it is sort of known and it is it is a true thing that a lot of the hobart or the southerner people get picked because that's where generally your better players your coaches and that everything's based out of that um when i first when we talked to the initial state stuff um basically it was going to be every week down in hobart Um, playing a a different division. And it was something that I honestly wasn't willing to participate in. Not to say I didn't want to do it, but time-wise financially with the parents and things like that, it was a consideration. Um, And ultimately uh, it was a pretty good state side and we was playing maybe the second tier in that. Um, And I elected to play with my home club here in Burnie and I would play under-18s, Reserves and Seniors as a 14-year-old, if I remember correctly. On the, um,
0: same, on a, on the yep,
1: same day. On yep, yep, three in a row. Um, so we'd play three 90-minute games in a row, uh, and then we went on from from there. Um, and that got me a lot more exposure to that standard of, of sport, um, and it was something. But we did – and it was, it was sort of a fortunate – thing um one of the other because I was the goalkeeper he actually got injured a, a month or so out um and I was chomping at the bit to come in anyway um to get to get picked up so we went to Coffs Harbour for a trip and there's some memories with some guys there that I basically will hold for on forever um and still occasionally send a message um but a lot of them boys are doing some separate things now as well. That's that's cool. It's,
0: um, yeah. I was actually going to ask you. I hope you weren't playing through the through the center, having to run for three three games uh, in a row.
1: No, it was kind of weird because I was the the goalkeeper with that, and then the the next year I actually finished the uh, finished off the goalkeeping and and had a had a run on the field and ended up winning the goal scoring for that next year as well in the under eighteens up here. So Wow. Uh, I, I do remember I had a broken thumb my very first under eighteens game I played up at Bernie United and I scored a hat trick and everyone's sort of gone, Oh, geez, we've got a got a forward now and and they've sort of turned around and said, Oh well, he's actually your goalkeeper but we're <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Um so it sounds like the the, the- it was essentially more like in-game type, type training and in-game type.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of match simulation things. Um, we, we had some really good coaches at Burnie United as well, and a lot of them were real world scenarios, as we call it. So I, I remember one of our really, really good coaches, um, we would actually just play a 6 aside game for the whole training session. That would be our our games um, and he just say pick us in divide the the teams up and basically let us let us go uh, there were obviously some structured training with drills and and your fundamentals and obviously your season type stuff as well but it was always quite fun to go to training um, whether it didn't really matter um, a lot of scoring. We did go to the side, the goalkeepers, and we did some separate goalkeeping training. Um, but normally, was brought in as well. Um, and it was well noted. Um, also, playing on the field when we played nationals, it was noted because they used me as an extra sweeper. Um, so I would actually get a few touches as well. Whereas some people, are the the goalkeepers, maybe weren't that comfortable kicking it's like kicking the ball to your Ruckman on the <laughs> AFL field and you're like, oh we don't really want him to touch it. Quick pass it on. So yeah. yeah, it's a bit like that. Whereas others you feel quite comfortable with them controlling the ball as well. Yeah, I was a keeper back in the day when I was playing super a
0: junior and I was one of
1: those ones you don't want to kick it to <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: I certainly so certainly get that. So um you okay, you've switched out of cricket and soccer and moved into golf. Mm-hmm coaching? Did you get any coaching in that change or was it all just... In regards to golf? Into golf yeah or did you just go on the course and play more? Um, or how did you, how did I you did yeah course?
1: I I do recall going to one lesson at Port Sorrel, um with Darren Spencer as you'd know um, and that was more of the fundamental sort of side and that was very very early on I would have been a high team handicapper there at, this, at the stage um, but uh, it's one of them things that I've grabbed onto quite quickly. Um, and I've, I have done a lot of stuff myself, but I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't got some guidance from other people down the track. Um, and it's still something that I aspire to do as well, even as a coach. If I go to Melbourne or Queensland or somewhere else, I do try to get a lesson myself. Sometimes I, um, I don't give much information. I just say, look, I'm look, looking for a lesson and, and I just want to see how they coach. So a lot of the times I go for a lesson, I might not be interested really in my own game, but I'm interested in how the coach coaches. So that's something that I take on, yeah.
0: I've heard that quite often and I've, I've, I think it's a, it's a good strategy. People, you learn more. Since- as opposed to just sitting there and observing a coach give a lesson and actually taking one yourself.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So that's a that, that's a, a yeah. really, really cool strategy. Yeah. And,
1: um, and I had that- – uh, I think there was a – I did – I know Zach, my old, my old boss, we didn't do too much sort of individual coaching, uh, but we played an awful lot of golf together, and I know he was always there to give me some assistance if he – if I ever asked for it, um, he would be, he, we, we had that sort of relationship. I remember one time that, he did that sort of backhanded comment of, oh, you should take it more inside. And uh, in my head I'm like, okay, so that's obviously too far. Um, but we basically let it, let each other sort of go. Um, but we always bounce ideas off and the conversations we had, uh, the, the times that Zach or myself would come in from a lesson and, and say, you know, this sort of fundamental thing, do you, do you do that? And I go. We well, sort of think about it and go. Well, yeah. And and um, just as a coach, there's basic things that we forget because we spend so much time coaching other players that we forget to do them ourselves as well. Yeah. So how? So how quickly?
0: Did you come from having a hit after work with your mates, and I'm assuming
1: a few alcoholic drinks were drunk in those nine holes? Yeah, uh, it be- wasn't as many that uh, that time because I would have still been on a provisional license. Oh so yeah, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't drive too far um, with any alcohol. Um,
0: so how 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 quickly did it come from that type of goal to being good enough to be in the trainee program?
1: Um, I I remember. Oh, when would have that been? I remember I must have got a handicap prior to the newer Gulf Australia system. So when I re- when I signed up, so being in Burnie, I actually worked in Devonport, which was about a 45-minute drive for myself, uh, doing my 80Ks an hour on the highway. Um, so I signed up at both, but I played um, some pennant and most of my Saturday competitions at, at Burnie. And when I started, I was 27, which would have been the highest that you could start at, at that time before our – 36 and now 54 handicaps that we've got. Um, <laughs> it was, I reckon, within a month, I played four rounds and I was down off about 13 from memory. Wow. Um, okay. And that was the level that I was at. Were, it quickly leveled me out. Um, and I remember it was It was like a set of staircases, it's exactly as they explain it to us um, with our education and learning things and, and our patterns that go on with that, that, I went 13 and I went down to about 8. And I remember thinking at that time there was a few holes that I got the extra shot on. I think it was 6 and 7, the index, Uh, and I was very thankful for the extra shot. Uh, And pretty quickly that went from 8 to 5 within a a fortnight. This, This was a few months down the track. It wasn't an immediate thing, but I'd sort of plateau a bit and then drop down and, and you start surrounding yourself with them, better players and trying to find what does that two handicapper do that I don't do? What is, you're is trying to surround yourself with better players to make yourself better. And, and I've been quite observant as a, as a player. I, I pick up things probably sometimes without realising that I pick them up uh, and and we go, go from there. And I did recall chatting to Bryce Gorham, um at, at the casino here in Launceston uh, and I made that sort of quiet joke of I feel like I'm going to be the first trainee to pass my traineeship and never play off scratch. And he, he, he joked around and he said, I've already been there and done that. I have, mate, so he'd already done it before me. But I, I did obviously, I had to get down to I think it was four maybe at the time for the uh, PGA to do the uh interview and and do the application for that um and I'd already always floated down I think I got down to 1 or 2 when I was playing some comp golf and and it's weird you always look back on it and you think well I'm not actually going to play off that handicap and then you look back on it and you, and you end up doing it if you do the right thing um I'll be honest I'm not the uh biggest tra- I, I do like training but allocating my time especially with the the pga system i remember talking to brad moles one time at, at token mall for our southern champs and he he said himself he goes i finish work i get home i do an hour or 90 minutes of my pga um, education and he prioritized that over his playing and, and i did as well i i was more focused on the education side than the plane, whereas I know other people are are the opposite of that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's why we're all different individuals, and and we all end up with different jobs at the end of the day as well. Very true. Just mm. quick,
0: just quickly on that, I did enjoy marking your assignments as opposed to some. Of that uh, did like, you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly I,
1: I don't think there was any late ones anyway. So no,
0: that's okay. certainly <laughs> certainly a good thing. Yes, yeah. something you said it, when you were. Improving, you were observing players that were good and seeing what they did. What are some of the things that those good players did that you didn't do?
1: Um, well, from from memory, geez, it's jogging my memory a little bit. Uh, we did have a, a touring pro um, play at Bernie, Craig Hancock, um, amazing player, um, very highly regarded around uh, around our local local area and even the state. Um, played some Asia tour stuff. So he'd play locally when we come through. Um, Even Hank himself uh, said that he's not necessarily the – he called himself short um, distance-wise. But we would sort of knowing about it, it'd be more than – the higher than average. Um, Not the longest guy by any means, as he said. Um, I think he had played – don't know if it was Brooks Kepka when he was up and coming or if it was his brother. Um, but there's a few names that have been thrown around that he's, he's played with and he did notice he said there, there are a lot longer in it, but it was more so the way he went about his game. Um, he, it's, it's all short game stuff with them. It's, as you'd be aware, um, I get some guys, even a lesson that I've done this morning, um, uh, biggest stronger guy and and we did a, a chipping lesson not so long ago and he goes that's made the biggest difference to my game and as as I explained to him it's it's that scoring shots there's so many people that can hit the ball as far as they possibly can get it to near the green but then they take numerous shots after that um, and it's also a pennant thing like once some of the hardest guys that I've played um nowhere near the longest but they're the driver hybrid nicks to the green and they're getting up and down a lot of the time. Cause, cause they have to, they understand with their, their length. That's what they've got to do. Um, and they, they are more the challenging ones to play as well. Um, and, and I found that uh, it was probably the big difference between eight and, and maybe that five handicap was not having a big blowout hole. You can afford bogeys and, and that through you round because that player is good enough to have birdie opportunities but it's the double or triple that they throw in that is generally that difference between a high single and a low to mid single figure players as well
0: makes sense yeah. Makes sense, and that that it is so true. And it is—it's about stopping those sevens and eights being on the yeah, the big on the ones, yeah. And that's again from a coaching perspective. That's generally when they hit one bad shot followed by a second or a third mm-hmm. bad shot after yep. those ones, yeah. Instead of taking their punishment and getting on with it,
1: that's that's one of the one of the uh, key sort of mottos that I give to my, some of my students is is don't play the same shot twice. So if you Recovering, or if you're in the trees, you don't want to hit your next one from out under the trees either. So,
0: but that's no fun. I can see the little no. gap in the trees, I can get yeah. through that gap.
1: That's all right, that's that's fine. And I tell you what, I'm a lot better out of the trees than 100 meters in the middle of the fairway at the moment. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm curious because you, you've obviously come into the trainee program without being like a super strong player, because mm-hmm. obviously, you enough yep. yep. to get into the program. Mm-hmm. Um, And I've always thought, like, I myself personally, when I came into the program, I came out a worse – I came out as a a person who could score but not a person that could play or swing as well as I did when I first went in there. So Mm -hmm. if you're borderline to start with, how did you find the playing side of the training program?
1: Um, I I did find it – remember the first year it was touch and go? Um, I do – play the way i coach as well which is i find it a lot easier to do as well and it also backs up what you're coaching as well um i wouldn't say i'm the the flashiest player um and when i played don't look too hard to see what my scores at token wall and that were because we don't have to worry about that um (laughs) but i definitely got my averages all right uh i I can't recall um, what I did each year. Um, Obviously, I know I passed. I had to pass every year, whereas I think the system now, once you've passed your averages, that's okay for the rest of it. Is that correct?
0: You only have to pass the playing standard once. Yeah, yeah. So, whereas every year I
1: played, if I wasn't under my averages, I had to repeat my playing for that year. So, I I didn't have to do that, uh, which was very good. Um, I... I focused, I sort of knew what I needed to do. I did start taking some statistics. As we get educated in the PGA system, we obviously learn more about our own games. We're coaching, we're playing a little bit more. Um, but we also have to wait up with that education side. So I did prioritize the education side over um, the, the playing. Uh, and I did, I if you put it, so I used to work uh, uh, Monday, through to Thursday, and our trainee matches down in Tassie were on a Friday. That's so weird. It, it's weird. But it worked really well for me because I would actually be able to meal prep. I'd prep all the way through. I'd have Friday off, which I would go to, to Launceston. So that was about an hour and a half trip um, one way um, to play with some of the guys from Hobart and a couple of guys from the Northwest Coast. Um, we. Then I would obviously work Saturdays and then I would have Sunday off. And Sunday would be, I call it my adult day where I'd do some washing and get my food ready and and restart the week. That's all changed now. Um, But it worked well. So I looked at the Monday to Thursday. I had basically an hour with the addition of daylight savings uh, not being on down here. So it's dark at basically 4 or 4.30. So you don't have time to to do anything anyway, and I'm not the best morning person. Um, So I would allocate, like I could have allocated maybe five hours of uh, of practice myself over the Monday to, to Thursday. I probably practiced an hour and a half, two hours, which would have been maybe a little bit on Wednesday and a Thursday afternoon. And all I really did was short game stuff, chipping and putting. Um, because that to me, as much of it, I I, I can hit the ball. I th- I think we all can hit the ball consistently in a general vicinity of where we need to go. But it's that stuff that we just discussed with, with scoring clubs that makes a difference. Um, and for me, it was more of a mental thing as much of a physical thing. Um, so even my, uh, I'd get to the, the trainee match an hour before the round and I'd finish my last maybe 15 or 20 minutes with the putty because I knew that that's when I'd get out. Um, and there was a few times I, I felt on the first hole having a putt that you probably shouldn't have left yourself, but having just performed that putt no more than 15 minutes ago on the practice screen, mentally you're going to think that you're actually holding it anyway. Whether you do or don't, you, you may not, but it's a lot nicer to think of that than... Standing over a putt, going, oh well, I haven't had this one yet because it's it's not going to start your round off on the right right foot.
0: Very true. And yeah, that makes so much sense. The fact that you're obviously smart enough early on in your golfing career to identify that you aren't going to be a well beater and mm. target your practice around areas that will keep your score going when you mm-hmm. when you're struggling on the golf course. Um, keep stats. So, what type of stats did you keep
1: when you were training? Uh, I think. You might have been one that recommended shots to hole um, I, and, and I, I still use it. Um, I did use that. That must have been more towards the end of my traineeship. So third year, um, I remember playing and it's something that I quiz all my students on as well if we're in that sort of area. Um, and I still find that it's relevant to this day. I, I played 20 par threes in a row. Um and they were over the the Launceston courses, so there was five rounds, four par threes on each course. My total score in relation to par over them twenty holes was eighteen over oh, okay. uh, <laughs> and that's where you go well and i and I sort of looked at it I didn't think I was playing that bad. I was averaging three and a half, maybe four over, like I was playing pretty good I'm like, oh, that's close I'm like but where where is that next step so I was able to look at it and go, well, my proximity to the hole is okay. All this stuff's going on. My I was like, what's going on? And then I checked it. As I found out, I'm literally pin hunting everything. So that's, that was what I was doing. Now, some holes you can do that. Other holes, obviously, we can't do that. Uh, I played. So that was my focus. So I, I made a note of it. I go, okay, so I'm, I'm playing these holes. I'm actually going to ignore the flag for my next five rounds and I'm just going to aim center of the green, leave it at that, just take dead center and go from there. Sometimes that works out all right because you may push that shot to the flag and you look like a genius. Whereas if you aimed at the flag, you're short-sighted, you're in trouble and we know the story from there. Uh, So that's next 20 par threes that I played. I did my stats on that. I was two under par for the next wow. 20. So I literally saved a shot a hole on them par threes. And that obviously makes your four over rounds go to square rounds. And you can throw the odd bad one in if there's a par four or par five. But generally, I, I find that I par the par the fours and I can birdie the fives. But I, I know when I play poorly, I lose my shots on par threes. And that, that's the way I sort of play. And and that's what I've noted. Even playing events now, I can have a good round and, and go, geez, that was easy. And oh, I hit eight out of nine greens playing nine holes. I go, well, it is easy. It's another step to actually consistently do it. But that's where I found my own own scoring place part. And I think a lot of professionals would be the same. You look at the stats and, and the fantastic thing with the high-performance programs and that we can look at different players and what that scoring average is um we've done some some work with Stuart Leong's done some webinars with the PGA to to go through that information and really help us out what to look for and how to go through things so it's it's been great some of that stuff uh I do find not all of my players like to use it um but it's something that I encourage I don't force them to um that's not going to get anyone anywhere um but the ones that do it does allow us to set training programs and see where that focus is to to improve their games
0: no that's cool it's, it sounds like you're uh uh in front of the curve when it comes to that type of stuff because mm. you, you see it now with scott Fawcett stuff and um understanding patterns and shot patterns and targets so yeah. Um, and again, I would argue that the most average players struggle with par threes, and yep. if they just aimed at the center of the green or chose a target based on their most uh, their standard ball flight, yeah, and they'll they'll turn in
1: heaps better scores just by doing something simple like that. Absolutely, yeah. There's uh, our our course here at Seabrook. Uh, our first hole is a one hundred and twenty meter par three. First hole, uh, sort of on a diagonal. Most of the time, people are turning up straight out of the car, straight to the first tee, you know the story. Um, Whereas our 10th hole is a 435 metre par 5, I think. No out of bounds, no water, one greenside bunker, uh, and you could give me 10 balls and probably 8 of them are going to be a 4. So I'm burning that hole most of the time. I can also very easily have a 4 on the first hole too. (laughs) <laughs> because that green is, the way it's shaped, it's got a bit of a false edge on it. You're trying to, you've got to hit a pretty good shot to, to keep it on the green. The, uh, some of the more high handicappers, they sort of get there and they go, oh, well, why is, why is that hole? Because I think the first from memory is rated 10 on the index. The 10th is rated 16 and 17 because um, we actually played that one twice with our, our loop. Um and, and, and that's the thing, like being the A graders or that longer hitter, I can hit that shot literally anywhere off the first tee. I can still recover into play, miss the green, then still have a chance of getting up and down. I'm still making par. Um, so you've got to do a good job to, to rack a score up on that particular hole.
0: Makes sense. Hmm. So cruise through the trainee program without any, any issue whatsoever yep. by the sounds Not of it. breaches.
1: Thing. Didn't get into trouble. Didn't
0: get breached. Even I got a breach of the Chinese <laughs> okay. Program. I didn't turn up to the to the futures one year. I got the date. Oh, okay. Them. So I pulled out on the Sunday prior to the first to the the tournament week.
1: Oh, um, okay.
0: Yeah. I rang the person in charge of the program at the time it was Phil Airs and rang him and said, um, sorry, I've screwed the dates up. I'm not coming. Didn't get oh, a call okay. back and just got the breach notice in the mail. Oh, uh, okay, yep. About, about two <laughs> weeks later. I think the breach back then was only 50 bucks. So oh, okay, yep. <laughs> but that being said, my third-year trainee wage was $300 a week. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's still a fair chunk, though, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that was, that was the issues with that one. So um, so cruised through the trainee program, got through
1: there. Um, mm. Was coaching the appeal when you finished the program? Um, it... it it was and it wasn't. Um, I was at a stage, I, I know um, Zach, uh, my my former boss, and his wife, Brooke, um, lovely people. They They were some of the best. I've had a few employers over the time in different industries and they were one of the best people to work for. They would be very lenient over things in regards to hours and and schedules and and things like that so it was always a comment of look if you need a day off if you're if you need something just go like that it was very and and for me as a person that made me want to do more when I was at work so it sort of worked both ways um whereas I've had other other places where you're looking at the clock and they're uh, you might not be treated as well, so you're not going to treat them as well. So it's sort of one thing that I I do value, and I and I really um, really enjoyed my time with them. Uh, but Brooke was always one to ask. She goes, "Oh, what are you what are you doing when you finish?" Oh, geez, honestly, Brooke, I'm I'm just worried about g- get me playing done and and getting finished. I just want to get this job finished out of the way. Um, I did consider. Um, I did want to play and I still do want to play um, something that I'm progressing into with the, into the summer this, this year. Um, and I find I, I sort of, I wasn't committed to anything at the time. Um, I did know Zach had always wanted to go back to South Australia um, with, with Brooke, cause that's where her family's from. Um, they had a little girl, Evie, and um, they've had Nate since then. Um, and, and I knew that was going on. So a job did pop up towards the end of my third year, which was my final year. Um, we had done our exams. We knew I'd passed. I did have to get a slot, uh, exemption because we still had to have employment at the 31st of December to complete our traineeship um whereas zach i actually started as the head pro on the 17th of december um so i had to get that exemption to to pass because because the job was offered to me nearly straight away um they said look would you like to take the job on said love to um because i knew at the time there was there was some guys like being in tassie there's not as many opportunities um and that's okay. A, a lot of us, like this, the smaller area, it's a very nice. Um, it is a nice place to be. the The whole area, the surrounding clubs. Uh, if you treat them right, they'll treat you right. Um, it's a very nice environment to be in. Um, but yeah, I took over the um, um, the job, and I remember Zach coming on the the day after, like as we switched everything over, we did a stock take. Um, we, we should show ch- and he come in, and and the poor fella, he looked lost. He did. He he, because their ha- house was packed up. They were moving the day after, and they said, "Look, we've got we got nothing to do. We we sort of got nowhere to be." So they come and hung out with me for the day, um, which was really nice as well. So should have got him out cleaning high clubs
0: or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which I'm sure you, you did for three years of your training. He was so. he was very he was very very nice to work with. He got, he did give me a lot of opportunity that i know others wouldn't have so um, being able so even from from first year um, doing repair so being a joiner previously the hand tool skills are a sort of a given um, he did obviously have to show me how we do some of our re grips and things like that but once he showed me we was off and running um, and sort of thrown it he he did mention himself he goes look you're going to be further in front of the equivalent at maybe one of the bigger clubs you might have a bit more of a prestigious club or a a bigger bigger club but you're doing more of the mundane tasks the vacuum and the clean you're not maybe front of house doing orders um doing them things that 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 we sort of have to down here in that smaller environment um otherwise it's just not going to work you're not worth your your time that you're you're there so you have to Produce some some work um, to make sure that your boss is basically making enough money f- to pay for you as well. Makes sense. It does make sense.
0: Um, I'm curious because I'm a country boy. I grew up mm-hmm. in the country, and um, being having spent time as a trainee and as a as a full professional in the country and also in the city mm-hmm. you see the variance of clientele and mm-hmm. people that you get coming through and something's working certain places that you probably don't work in other places then i've had some surprise packets where i've spent worked at a nine-hole public course and sold top-end equipment um yeah. the highest I've, I've sold ever um yeah. So i'm just curious dan and Tassie, what it's what kind of programs have you set up as a as a coach and also in your business to suit um, the clientele
1: yeah i honestly uh if i if i've been really critical of myself i i haven't done too much and sometimes i I feel maybe not enough sometimes um but then I look at it on both sides i'm running the pro shop, I'm running basically everything, it's, it's, I'm, I'm by myself, um, but that started to change over the last few years, so the first 12, 18 months, I, I really wanted to find my feet uh, and sort of set them goals to, to go forward, whereas now my priorities sort of change and I'm, I'm getting a little bit more uh, with that, and my goal for this summer is to get a bit more interactive with other clubs. Um, and get out a little bit more rather than being at my own. Um, I obviously, I've done uh, your swing fit. I'm currently nearly got a couple more weeks left of a get into golf program. We've done the uh, the odd my golf clinic. Um, and I'd be the first one to say that there are things we, or myself, we could do a little bit better. But then it does flow into a time thing. Um, and, and that's where it weighs up. Um, in regards to the coaching, uh, it was it was an assignment that we had oh, might have been second year, and it was re- redesigning your pro shop. Um, and I actually redesigned. I was lucky enough with the space in the pro shop. We did have room to put an indoor fitting and coaching bay in. Now it's not wide enough for uh, to play sort of games with left and right handers but it's more than enough room to swing a club if it's rainy or if it's windy and, and we can go from there. Um, and I actually did, with the exception of the, the desk location in that assignment, um, basically did what I'd planned in that, that assignment. Um, and, and because we knew that golf down here on the coast in the in the summer and the finer weather, it's great, really, really good. But traditionally, uh, our pro shop had struggled through the winter as a lot of others had um so i actually invested in a flight scope machine um i have got a fair bit of tech there in the shop um and the flight scope had honestly the thing had paid for itself probably within six months with coaching um club fitting all of them things that we we work towards so,
0: for all those associates out there that are tuning into the podcast, which I'm sure there's about two of them, um, <laughs> see those but those assignments that you're doing, they do come back to help you they, later. They
1: on. do. Yep they they are relevant. Um, and that was a, a story. I was uh, as another customer today. I remember sitting in um, in some of the the lectures that we had. I uh, would have been at Sandhurst and and. Being, I wasn't the oldest one there, but I was one of the older guys. I wasn't straight out of high school, straight out of playing in that. And it was something that, uh, for me, it was weird. I, I'd gone through that sort of trainee thing with the joinery stuff, and you'd always have a couple of the rummins as you'd be aware of. Um, and I'd, I'd sit there and pay attention, but for myself, internally, um, Zach asked one time, he, he'd come back, and I, I said, he asked, he goes, oh, how was school? And I was like, mate, honestly, I sat there, I didn't stuff around, I paid attention, I, I, I took my notes, I did what I should have done, but it felt like I never took anything in. Um, But within two weeks, some scenario was happening at the golf club that was absolutely relevant to that lecture, and I remembered all of it. Um, so that's where I found, uh, I found that it was still very relevant and we find the stuff in the coaching stuff. You train, um, a new swing pattern in someone or a new movement and that first couple of weeks I go, oh my God, what's, what's going on here? It takes a little bit of time from to, to, to sort of gel in and, and get used to it. Now, I'm sure that you're talking about all those other presenters. You aren't talking about me. I'm sure you. No, right. I was. Uh, I can't even remember who it was. <laughs> Wouldn't have been you. I would have remembered your ones. I'm sure you would have. I'm <laughs> sure you would have. Such a suck. Still a suck.
0: That's, that's all. It was Jamo's session. She was awful. I'm sure. Probably. But. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all good. No, that's all fine. Um, so me, some points you made through that through those answers there. So you've got coaching tech. Inside mm-hmm. of your business, so you mm-hmm. said you had FlightScope and some other mm-hmm. things. How do you apply that in your coaching?
1: Um, I find it's a little bit unusual in regards to my coaching. Obviously, I, I do the uh, some of them uh, lectures that we had about um, group. I remember there was a lady; she was really, really nice that she she talked to. She just did the my golf clinics, um, and she was doing. I think she said she did about 400 kids a week. $10 a head works out pretty good. That was her full-time job. Um, obviously, down here in Tassie, it turns into a population number, and that isn't sort of where it goes as well. Um, I do sort of focus a little bit more on the high-performance, the adult side of things. I'm still absolutely – I think it's one thing that all professionals – have to decide as much as we want to do absolutely everything we can. Sometimes we have to prioritize other things, whether it be family or, or work or what programs we run or when we run them. um It, it does play a big part to it. Uh, my uncle, he plays up in in kombucha, uh in Queensland. Uh, the the pro there ran a really really good pro shop from what I was told, and he ended up resigning. Younger family, he just had to prioritize. He goes, look, I. I want to spend time with my family, and he he changed roles, and and, and that story could be told numerous industries all across the country. Um, I did have, in regards to my my specific my specific coaching, um, my when I first started, obviously I didn't have the technology, and um, we ran some package stuff, we ran the normal lessons and things like that. But once I got my flight scope and a bit of other tech that I've got. Um, the best thing that I've found so far um, has been what I, I call it a custom package, um, and what that consists of, it's a nine-hole playing lesson. We go out, and that allows me to identify what that person needs, how we go about it to improve their scores. My job isn't necessarily to make you hit the ball further or swing faster or do any of them things that people love seeing. We all love seeing a, a driver chase down. Um, but my job ultimately is to lower scores. Um, and as we said at the start of the podcast, it's generally around the green, but there is a fundamental side of getting the ball to that target as well. Um, so I'm, I'm a big one on only using the technology if we need to use it. Um, I'm not a fan of going, oh, oh, Brent, you come in and you say, look, I want a lesson on just the fundamentals. And I'll go, okay, um, yeah, we'll, we'll light flight scope up for that. Um, that's not, one, it's not good use of the time. Um, yes, it's probably going to be a more expensive lesson that I don't feel. I find that if you, same thing, you treat your customers right, they're going to repeat service. So they're going to keep coming back. Over and over again, they know you're not in there for a dollar. You ultimately want them to be better. Um, I've I've had times uh, body track. I've got Capdo as well. Might do a putting lesson. So today my putting lesson, I didn't use Capdo. I've got a 20 handicapper, um, and and Capdo wasn't really needed for him. We just needed to stop him three and four putting turning into two putts. So we didn't need to go through that detail so I'm not going to charge him 120 or 150 dollars for a lesson that we could do with an $80 lesson uh, I, I understand that it's a little bit less dollars for me but I'd rather him come back five times paying 80 bucks than pay 150 bucks twice
0: that, that makes sense I'm curious so how do you how do you deal with those guys that you don't think need the technology but they insist on having the technology if, if
1: they insist on it I'm more than okay to to use it. Um, I always, even if I say they don't need it, um, I'll still have it running in the background. I I more so use it as a confirmation tool where we can prove certain movements. Uh, A very common one, uh, like looking at club head speed. Okay, okay, if we want the ball further, we're going to have this club head speed. And we can train their body um, to do them certain things, but we can go back to that flight scope and say, hey, look, this is where you swung it. You first swung it at 55 miles an hour. Now you're it at 68 miles an hour. And, and it's all because of the coaching that we went through before. Yeah. So we might not look at it directly, but we we do use it.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense as well. So um, everything I see from you online um, tends to have a pretty significant club fitting component yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep. how did you get involved with that space and how have you improved your skills through through club fitting
1: um I've I have done obviously we, we learned a lot of club fitting stuff with through the PGA and, and that Zach was also one as well that we did a bit uh, I guess it's always been something I've been interested in um I haven't fully there's certain things obviously that i would i would be honest and say look i'm not as informed with certain parts to it um the specific club building and and, and swing waiting even though i understand it going going through that but um I, f- I find that having the education that a pga pro does versus some of the shops that i've seen is the club fitting is more of an experience it's not the the last part is the the actual club itself. I find talking to that customer and finding out what their needs and their wants are, are they just starting out? Are they going through a program? I'm one, I I sort of tell them, I say, look, I'd rather a 75% right fit now, but a 95% right fit in 12 months time. I, I, I want them to work into that set of golf clubs rather than going, okay, Brent, you swing it at, 75 miles an hour that's a red flex and we leave it at that because in two months time you swing it at, at you picked up 10 miles an hour through the coaching side of it oh geez brent them them clubs aren't aren't actually going to be useful for you now the shafts are a bit soft you come in complaining that you're hitting sort of high and spinny ones are not actually going any further that, that's that's on to me. Um, and it is one thing in that smaller community, every set of golf clubs, whether it be a putter or a driver or a set of wedges, my name is attached to that specific club. So if I don't provide the right service or, or do the right fit, word travels very, very quickly. Um, doesn't matter where you're at. Um, and it's always one thing that I want my customers to be happy, but it's a lot of it is to do with the communication of letting them understand what's going on and not pigeonholing them into one specific um, thing. Uh, My younger brother's a good example. He swings at low 90 miles an hour with his 7-iron, which most of us would would understand that it it does recommend into an X-Flex. In his drive, if I put him into X-Flex, the ball's everywhere. We find that a heavier stiff gives him some feeling of where the club head is, and he hits his drives a lot more consistent, a lot straighter, no change in distance, but you can just feel more comfortable with it. And to me, feeling more comfortable with the club is more important than the specifications on it itself.
0: Makes me, That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Zero yeah, argument from there. And, yeah, it's important to get that blend of art and science, I think, in club fitting. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. yes, yes, the science and you can have the f- – packs and figures, and says, "Well, this club head speed is this and this and this," but you have to take into consideration that person in front of you, where you're going as a coach with their swing as well. Yeah, um, there's so many things to to take yeah. into consideration.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's and I, I find a lot of um, maybe I won't say misfit clubs, but clubs that that don't really suit where they're coming from, um, especially with length and. And things like that, um, it does play a big part to it. Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Coach of the Year twice in Tassie, which is which is an awesome achievement yep. for someone who's only fairly recently out of the, the trainee program. So yep. certainly congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and you said earlier on that you like to focus on those, those high-performance players as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have too much to do with the Golf Australia programs down there in in the high performance space?
1: Um, I do. I've I've got uh, one one young young fella, um, young Jack there. Um, he's part of it. But I have been to a few of the camps. Um, I try to find myself um, very hands on with with the coaching stuff, um, and it is one thing I find it. Oh, it's just sort of how I am, but when we do them camps, I know Andrew Bonzi is um, very well known in our in our golf industry, and he he's sort of the physio for the, the high performance. And calling him a physio would probably be an insult to Andrew, and he, he knows that he's probably the most overqualified person for that position. Um, and I've actually been down with Jack. Uh, we went down. They've been a Volkswagen scramble or something down there in Hobart. Uh, for us, that's about a four hour trip, uh, down there. And we, we played. And I said to Jack, I said, let's go down. We'll book in with Bonzi. We'll go because it was part of the high performance program that he gets screened and we check his body. We make sure his body's functioning right and, and, and what he can work on. And I myself wanted to do that as well because then I can hold both of us accountable. Um, it is one thing. It's, I find it a bit, maybe not rich, but, if I can run my shot, do my thing, so basic things like shot style, if I can play around and put my shots to hole in, you can as well. Uh, and and the the body side of the thing is something that I personally do want to really improve, um, and I'm learning a little bit more about it through TPI and stuff like that, um, trying to keep people accountable of, uh, of that. Um, but we've met Richard Cooney. Um, he, he's been great. Um, he's always someone to to have a chat to. Um, and it is something that I did put as, as a goal, um, uh, ultimately a, a state coach or, or something like that, whether it be an assistant for the first year, but moving into that, that role, I, I do know that talking to to Richard and, and the other guys um, that they want some younger coaches in there to be the next level going forward as well. And it is something that I really, really enjoy. Um, I like getting into the nitty-gritty and stuff. Um, and like even going back to the PJ stuff, some of them assignments, which was ultimately probably some of the harder ones that I found, um, are most relevant now. Uh, and they weren't as hard when I really enjoyed them anyway. So um, it, it is something to go with. Uh, high performance. It, it is something we don't have as many players, I, I guess, up this way. Um, it is something that I, I have thought about and I would like to, to do some ex- extra things around, um, going forward as well. So, um, developing into that type of place as well.
0: So again that 12month periodized plan it
1: actually is coming to, mm-hmm. it, has was, coming an, to use. it was an absolute pain in the ass it was that whole, that assignment <laughs> um, but really really relevant I've got young Jack uh, he went played the South Australian amateur last week um, but going through them things and and understanding let your body rest and, and optimizing your time and as you said in 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 their assignments there's no Exact formula. It's not like we have to peek for a grand final. It's we've everyone's got different events that they have to do. We just have to balance it um, a little bit better, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's a challenging
0: space. And if you tuned into the podcast in the past out there, everyone that's tuning in, um, there's a periodization episode we did with Scotty Williams and Nick Bolowski. I remember doing- Scotty. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and Nick. Yep. Yeah. We're doing a part two of that one coming up soon. Oh, fantastic. Make sure everyone subscribes to that one and you can can get a bit of an insight in periodization for golf, which is a real challenge, as you said. because It is, yeah. The single peak sports, it's a bit more formulaic. It's not quite the same when it comes to golf. So that's really cool. Mate, I really appreciate your time tonight. I've got five questions that I like to ask everybody, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to throw those at you now. Yeah. Young coaches starting out in the field, what advice have
1: you got for them? Um, my biggest advice would be continue to learn. Um, don't think that once you've finished your time, um, don't think you've got it all sorted. Um, good coaches will continue to educate themselves and make them better, better people and also with the coaching side as well. So, so it's always one thing. So, so don't, don't refrain to just going, yep, I've passed. That's all I need to know. Um, because, there's so much more to it, and, and we'll, we'll never get to the end of it. Um, we had, it's guys, I know you. we sent a, I think there's Greg Rosen and, and Dr. Dave Phillips, I think his name is, from TPI. There was a, a podcast on that. Like, them guys know so much about it that we if we took 10% of what they know, it's going to make us so much better of a, of a coach as well, so...
0: Makes sense. Now, seeing you've answered that question that way, I'm going to throw the fifth question at you to your know. second now. So, yes, great for coaches to continue to learn, but where do you find your sources of information and learning?
1: Um, I find it everywhere, really. Um, I do, obviously, a lot of the the PGA uh, online education. I did the the 2019 Expo um Online, we weren't able to to get over to that. Um, I do a lot of that. Um, I do keep on sort of relative tracks to the other better coaches as well. So, um, Richard Woodhouse is one that that comes to mind. That um, he wouldn't wouldn't know me if he walked past me in the street, um, and that's totally fine. Um, you can't miss Richard. He's an absolute giant of a human being. He is he's um, massive. But but I, I see his he's got a lot of uh, a, a lot more social media influence than I do, and the information that he has it might only be a thirty second clip, but you might take something out of it and and sort of think about it and go well that's that's uh, really amazing. The one thing that I probably don't do that I'm starting to probably look at a little bit more is actually reading books. Um, I, I know it's, it's a very common theme with that high level. I know Richard's a big one on it and nearly everyone else that's at the top of their game, they, they read. They read the books about that information, um, something that I personally don't do, honestly, don't do any of it, um, but something that I'm looking at doing, it was actually brought on by my partner, a plan to, to grab a book each and read it for an hour before bed, which... Shows that it's something that we've we've both noted, so um, something that we're planning on doing as well. No, some some cool sources there.
0: It's um, I, I get what you're saying about Richard. He's he's I don't know how he fits it all in. He's, yeah, no, it's it's got me bait. It's yeah, I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. It is so he does so much stuff, and his profile so big. He's still the highest um, rating episode for my podcast. Of, yeah, for sure. His, people just seek him out because he's so good at what he does. Yeah. Yep. and he's so giving as well when it comes to sharing information and being mm-hmm. open with with doing stuff like that. So yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I I still watch a, a couple of the YouTube videos. Um, maybe not the normal ones. Um, I think there's an Athletic Motion Golf was one, and that was more on the biomechanics side of it the the movements that's required versus an amateur player and what a tour player does. Obviously, things like that. When we talk about the technology, they're using K vest and and different. Sort of technology to to measure their numbers so it makes it difficult as a coach that hasn't isn't sort of or doesn't have it. Um, but if we can relate it to a feeling and, and give that student some information, it's going to work, work quite well. It's
0: probably tied into those training assignments that so if you you start to get get your ideas around it now, get your head around it now, yeah. and then when you get into that state coaching role, that you're after you'll have sure. to apply it. Makes sense. So uh, hopefully there's a few golfers tuning into the podcast as
1: well. So what tips have you got for the golfers out there? Uh, this is one that I thought you might throw at me, so was, I was a bit worried it was. So um, I'm a big one. So when I coach, I've got, uh, I think most people do, just some, just some fundamentals um, uh, and what I normally call them ones. They'd be non-negotiables. So you can go through... A lot of swings, whether they're men, ladies, tour, uh, it's things that we could all all do. Um, as a coach, I find the biggest um, influence is generally footwork. I find that lack of footwork actually creates more issues than what they're worth. Um, also, basic things, so not only laterally, our left and right movement, um, there is an important part of timing, which um, would Come into your body track stuff. I know Clint Rice has a, a lot of information on that stuff. Um, but also heel toe pressure as well. Um, a lot of the times, oh, geez, I'm I'm not turning properly and they're trying to get a deeper hip turn. Um, very, very common. And you go, well, put them on body track and you see that 100% of their pressure's in their toes. Good luck because you're going to try to stand up um, rather than rotate through your swing so your, your body without you even realizing it so your subconscious movement is basically saying please don't let me fall over i'm going to prioritize being upright before i even worry about swinging the skull club makes sense makes sense to me
0: um okay so what about is there anything that you would change in your career journey life up until now um
1: career wise probably not um I, I look I do I look back on certain things and and there's the odd the odd what ifs or this could have been that or it could have been this but I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't done that. Um, it's the same thing if I look at the, the sport if we go back to the start and mum and dad go, soccer and cricket or golf and I pick golf, I honestly I don't think I'd be playing golf now. I'd be doing something else. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um I, I'm one I'm not one to dwell on Certain things, um, I I just normally take on from from that.
0: No, that's a that's a fair answer. I've I've, I've got no point. And again, people that tune into the podcast will know that I asked that question because there's things that I would change. So that's oh, is I, there? Yep, yep, that yep that, yep. That's why I throw that one out to yep. out to people. So you can answer this one way or both ways. Okay. Where, <laughs> where do you see yourself slash coaching? in five years time?
1: Um I I definitely see myself in the golf industry. Um I, I don't want to change that at all. Um it's it's been so good, like good for me. It's it's a great change of pace. Every day is different. Um it's not the same mundane thing over and over again. Um I I don't know where I would be um if we sort of get on to that. So some people um sort of think about where their job location and that is, I love where I'm at. Um, That's not to say that I wouldn't look at something else, Um, but definitely in that that coaching role, um, I I do like that. Depends, and it depends on what goes on down, especially down here, whether there's an influx of trainees. Um, you did worry me when I got the first phone call. It was, oh, uh, Brent Davis, I'm like, what have I done wrong right now? I'm trying to freak out. going, oh, no, <laughs> what have I done? Uh, I, I went through numerous things, actually. It could have been a, a trainee applicant that was down here that needed to do playing lessons or um various things. So definitely still in the golf industry, what that entails. I have no idea. Um, I'm excited for what is going forward. Um, Cause there's, there's numerous different options there. Um, I, I know that the, the one thing I do know is that it won't be the same as what I do now. Um, even looking for the next six months in the summer, it's planning to be different than what have been the last two years. Um, looking at, at getting out, networking a little bit more and, and involving the local clubs in the area with each other as well a little bit more. Um, it's like down down here, it's it's a pretty friendly. Lots of small clubs um, that need each other's support um, to stay viable. Um, so then bigger events, uh, obviously being, being really the only local pro um, west of me as well. Um, there's a few bigger events that I, I normally sponsor, but I actually want to get out there, show my face a little bit more, um, show who I am and, and have a hit with them, them people as well. So.
0: Sounds good. Mate, change is good. Change is good. Yeah. yeah. If, if, yeah. Uh, continuing to improve and evolving is always a good thing. So That's it. that's a huge positive. So, mate, plugs now. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, Most
1: of my stuff, uh, I've got my Instagram um, page. Uh, I'm not super active on it, but I'm always there to talk to I have my Facebook page as well. Um, A with this golf, um, it should be on all of my – all the social medias and that. Um, And it is something that, as we noted before, try and be a little bit more active with. Um, I am one to – if I, if I want to do something, I want to do it properly. So I'll not I'll either not do it at all or be in a full tilt. I won't half-arse it. Um, but trying to get a little bit more active on that, showing what I'm capable of, what I've got available, um, things like that works really well. I will
0: put some links to everything in the show notes for everybody so they can they can find you with there. So, again, mate, it's great to catch up again. It's great to see you doing so well. Um, oh, it all? It's always uh, It's always pleasing to see someone... Go through the program and come out there and start to kill it. So mm-hmm. uh, can, it's, it's, it's just so good to see you do so well. So thank you for your time today. Appreciate you coming and having a chat. No
1: worries at all, Brent. Thanks very much for having me. Um, be happy to do it anytime.